when I am with Cassandra, there is a rustle and a ripple in nature. There is the force of friction everywhere. But crucially, there is motion. I am moving. I'm still drowning in the impossible. But there is a sense of freedom somewhere. I don't feel damaged by the past, not the way I used to feel. I no longer feel like I'm Kafka with a heart on. Hurt and pain lost in the process of trying to dream. As long as we keep on moving nowhere near the world of banknotes and hard cash nowhere near the junkies with their means to an end the future changes itself without me anywhere near it It is always tied up with the fabric of fear and the freedom of the beat. Always analyzed in the accident and the atmosphere. The camera his desire and the lipstick stays on all night but when nothing is hidden there is no insight and I like looking at the hidden seeing what is behind the image I like looking at the crime, thinking about what made it happen. Pat closed the notebook. Once again, he had put down his ruminations. This was his modus operandi. His lifeline. Still, somehow, he knew he had closed a chapter. Cassandra, we need to talk. There is not much time Cochrane and the other agents 
will come back here with some proposals and we must be prepared. Cassandra continued to sip the perfect gin lemon that Samantha had prepared for her a few minutes ago. Then like a cat that is reopening its eyes after a siesta, she smiled at him and invited him to sit down with a simple wave of her hand. Pat surrendered to the fact that he could never give Cassandra ultimatums and dropped onto the sofa. That's better, she told him as Kristen came by to bring him a cocktail too. Cassandra, please, this is an important decision we should make together. Pat, you always surprise me. What decision do you want to make? We just have to rely on the domino of personal interests that we have come across and hope that no one will use us as laboratory guinea pigs. Pat froze. Cassandra's words had touched him deeply. He would have expected her usual optimistic and pacifying reaction. Certainly not that resigned surrender to human feelings from which, according to him, she must have always been immune. But no, of course, it's the Cochrane effect, he thought, almost happy at the idea that Cassandra had discovered she had a heart. Obviously, she had to do it at the worst time ever, but despite her bad sense of timing, Pat recognised her ability to grow, even in a paradoxical context like that. And he could only feel happy about it. He loved Cassandra. It was not love like Cochrane's, but a kind of love that did not allow suffering. Pat hated the idea of suffering and creating suffering. Pat 
didn't want to have to deal with the irrational carousel of feelings that cloud your vision and brain. And Cassandra was the only person in the world who could understand and accept him for who he really was and for what he could have been. Pat was sure that if he ever had to return to the normal world, the linear one, and that does not foresee space-time jumps, murders, and daring robberies, he would still not have found anyone able to understand him as Cassandra did. She was his consciousness unconscious and this was the best definition he could have come up with to describe her. I want to stay here. I want to stay next to Gareth. She told him, interrupting his thoughts. Pat drank some of his drink. He would have sworn and perjured that he was about to tell her that he on the contrary, wanted to leave, stay away from all that chaos, and above all, away from his double. Then the fragile voice of Robert Wyatt singing, at last I am free, came into his head. Instead, Pat felt that something inside him had changed. A sudden and unexpected switch, an oxygen filler, finally opened. A boulder on his chest that had disintegrated without warning and for no apparent reason. Eventually, after months of existential agony, Pat felt consciously free and liberated. Cassandra looked at him She seemed worried, and at the same time, curious. Then it's decided, let's both stay here, he told her, taking the last sip of his cocktail and giggling. Cassandra smiled too. Do you want... Another one. 
She asked him, challenging him to keep that smile longer than usual. No, he replied as he walked over to an acoustic guitar leaning against the wall of Crest's study room. Let's see if I remember how to do it, he said aloud, drawing the attention of Crest's assistants, Amy and the professor himself. A quarter of an hour later, Cochrane and Carmenate returned to Crest's house, greeted hastily by Samantha, who had hurried back to the studio, back in position to chorus with Kristen. While Pat sang, accompanying himself on the guitar. An acoustic and surprisingly beautiful version of Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash. For a few seconds, the two agents remained silent, astonished by that surreal picture in which possible and impossible seemed to have found the square in a song. Pat had the voice of an experienced professional while everyone else was singing every single word of the choir like drunk coyotes. Carmenate walked over to Cochrane's shoulder. Ah, Pat sings great. But look at Professor Crest. He seems to have fun like never before. And he also has a beautiful voice. Cochrane sighed, remembering a maxim from Plato, a piece of paper that someone in his office posted on a blackboard. Music is a moral law. It gives soul to the universe. Then he too reached the others, and like everyone else, he began to sing. 